Well, good morning, 945. My name is Annie Duncan, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's great to be with you. And if you are joining us on the podcast, it's great to have you here virtually. So thanks for being with us. Uh, last fall, I attended my nephew's jogathon at Bellevue Christian School, and this was the first time he'd ever run in a jogathon before. He's six, his name is Cooper, and he is very competitive. Uh, It's the Vanderpaul in him, I'm going to have to say, but he had a goal of running the most laps in his class. So I stood to witness this event, and I'm on the sidelines, and all of a sudden the music starts, and 25 six-year-olds start sprinting around a grassy track in the rain. And as I watched them, it kind of dawned on me, no one had taught these kids jogathon etiquette. Like they were sprinting and they had 45 minutes to run. And in this first lap, they were going to use all of their energy. Anybody could tell that. And after the first lap was completed, I saw my nephew and I saw tears of frustration in his eyes. It was as if he was asking his body, like, why won't you keep on sprinting? What is going on? And you can call me an overbearing aunt if you want, but I intervened. Uh, there was no way I was going to have my nephew have a bad jogathon experience. So I ducked under the fence and I made my way over to him and I kind of gave him a pep talk that went like this. I said, Cooper, you're doing so great. You went so fast that first lap. Good job. And then I said, you know what? I know a secret that will help you run the entire time. And I had his attention. And he goes, what's that, auntie? And I said, it's called pacing yourself. Watch me, I'm gonna run with you. And I think we've got a picture of the two of us running in the rain. He was a little bit faster than me, and that's okay. I'm competitive too. But have you ever felt like my nephew? Have you ever felt like you're giving it all that you've got, you're sprinting through life, but there's no finish line in sight, and you're exhausted? Well, this fall, we are talking about how we can be resilient people, resilient people that relentlessly pursue God and his revival of all things. And we can't be resilient without having perseverance. Perseverance is a starved virtue in a culture of instant gratification and quick fixes and one that expects immediate results. And because it's a starved virtue, we need to give it a little bit of attention And my husband and I, we have this saying that cues us to shift from our instant gratification mode to one of more patience. And the saying goes something like this, I want cake now! Yeah, you heard me, I want cake now. And we borrowed this saying from a YouTube video, maybe you've seen it, uh, NFL bad lip reading. We've got a a spare six seconds, so please enjoy. I want it now! I want cake now! I want it now. We love that video in the Duncan household. (laughs) But really, to be resilient people, we cannot walk through life with a I want cake now mentality. We just can't. So how do we get to be a people that see perseverance as a worthwhile virtue? Well, we first, it first helps by pointing out the things in life that are worth persevering for. They're worth enduring. They're worth waiting for. Things like parenting or learning how to ride a bike or falling in love or finishing chemistry in high school. Like to rush any of those things, you miss out on the process. That's usually a good thing. 
And I think we can all think of things that maybe don't always go according to plan, or, but we stuck with them anyway, things like school and friendship and marriages and field goal kicks. Field goal kicks. I mean, last Sunday, what was going on? For those of you that live in an underground bunker, this is what happened last Sunday. Uh, the Seahawks played the Cardinals, and the Hawks game went into overtime, and then it went into double overtime, which means that the first team to score will win the game. And the Cardinals had possession first, so if you're a Seahawks fan, you're thinking, oh man, they're probably going to kick a field goal and then they'll win. But they did kick a field goal and they missed, which all of Seattle was like, hallelujah, it's a miracle. And then all we had to do was score to win the game, and then we missed the field goal as well. And if you saw the flurry of social media after the game, you probably caught how both coaches of both teams reacted. Coach Bruce Arian of the Cardinals said this to his kicker. He said, uh, he said if, he, if he had any words for his kicker, what would he say? And he said this, make it. This is professional. This ain't high school, baby. You get paid to make it. If you're the Cardinals kicker, I bet you're looking for another job. Um, but then Seahawks coach Pete Carroll asked for his response to his kicker's blunder, and he said this. Hashka made his kicks to give us a chance, and unfortunately, he didn't make the last one. He's been making kicks for years around here, but he's going to hit a lot of winners as we go down the road here. I love him, and he's our guy. Could there be a more different response? Yeah, we can clap that. (laughs) One coach had the, I want cake now, mentality, and the other coach had a bigger perspective. And here's a little bit more perspective if you didn't know. The game ended in a 6-6 tie, and the only scores either team had came from their kicker. In our lives, there are going to be days when we make field goals, and there are going to be days that we miss field goals. And being resilient means stepping onto the field. It means trying for another attempt, whether we made the last one or we didn't. And in the passage we just read from Hebrews, it talks about perseverance, Hebrews was actually written to Christians, encouraging them to persevere in the face of persecution. So how do we persevere in light of what we're up against? And what about persevering in our faith? What does that look like? Well, to put it simply, persevering in our faith means believing that God has been with us, continues to be with us, and will be with us no matter what life throws at us. And in the verses in Hebrews 12, they unpack what persevering looks like in our faith. And they talk about first two ways to prepare for perseverance and two ways to act on it. And so the first way that we can prepare for perseverance is this. We are encouraged. Hebrews 12 starts out by saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... And Hebrews 12 comes right after Hebrews 11, because that's the way that numbers work... And Hebrews 11 is about crediting people with faith. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, Rahab. And it's these people that Hebrews 12 is pointing to, calling them a cloud of witnesses. So this group, this group of people, Hebrews 12 is saying that they're watching us, and not in a creepy sort of way, examining us to see if we're going to mess up, but in a way that's meant to be encouraging. It's saying, look at all these people that have gone before you and lived out faith. They're our cloud of witnesses. They're the ones that we can look to. And Hebrews 12 uses this metaphor of a race. And in this race, there's a stadium. Picture a stadium full of people cheering us on. And Bell Press, who, who is in your stadium? Who are those people that you look to for encouragement? 
Maybe it's people from the Bible, like in Hebrews 11. Maybe it's friends and family. A few years ago, we had a big family gathering after Christmas, and we do this every year after Christmas. It's the Vanderpool side of my family. And we have such a big family that we actually have to rent out a church so everybody can fit. Because we've got great-grandparents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, second cousins, cousins, grandbabies, people that maybe shouldn't be there, but they just joined in the party. Um, it's a huge church full of Dutch people, and it's chaotic. And a few years ago was the first Christmas that we were gathering together uh, after my grandma had passed away. And it was a hard Christmas to be there without her. I mean, if a lot of us were honest, I think we gathered so regularly because we knew it made my grandma so happy. And so it felt emptier, even though there was a ton of people there. And my nephew, the same one, the Jogathon one, Cooper, my nephew was five at the time, and this was his first Christmas without his great-grandma. And he used to see her on a weekly basis, and she would tell Cooper how much Jesus loved him, and he would sing songs for her that would make her cry tears of joy. So this was his first Christmas without his great-grandma. And at some point in the Christmas chaos, he found his mom, and he went up to my, my sister-in-law, his mom, and he said, Mom, great-grandma is here. And she looked at him, and she kind of thought, well, maybe he's getting his past tense and present tense mixed up. And so she corrected him, and she said, No, Cooper, great-grandma should be here, but she isn't. She's in heaven. And Cooper's smart, and so he corrected his mom. And he said, no, mom, great-grandma is here. He said, I feel her. I feel her all around. That part always makes me cry. Such a faith of a child, right? While the rest of us were sad, so sad, experiencing my grandma's emptiness and not being there, Cooper was experiencing encouragement and joy. He was experiencing something different. One of the ways that we can persevere is by being encouraged by those that have gone before us. And sometimes that means that we can literally feel their presence with us that brings us joy. The second way that we can prepare the way for perseverance is that we get rid of stuff. Continuing on with this metaphor of running a race, you know that if you're going to run 100 meters and you show up to the track and you've got your parka on and you've got your sweatpants on, you know that before the race takes off, you're going to discard a few layers because those layers would weigh you down. Well, in a similar way, sin weighs us down. Hebrews 12 continues on by saying, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Sin locks us down. So if we're to persevere in this race, sin is going to keep us from trying to do that. And I'm sure we can all think of something that maybe weighs us down. Maybe uh, it's an addiction or maybe it's a bad habit or a pattern that we just can't seem to break. Whatever it is, I think that we can agree that the race of life is easier when those things aren't entangling us. But discarding those things is easier said than done. A friend of mine was praying the other, day, the other day about the idea of lateness being a sin. And she openly asked God, God, what do you think about being late? And up until this point, she had a relaxed perspective on time. She kind of chalked it up to being artistic and creative and having a type B personality. Maybe there are some of you like her in this room. But as she leaned in openly in prayer, she really went before God openly and just asked God, Will you show me what you think? And he drew her to some scripture passages and helped to change her perspective. 
and drew her to repentance. And she actually posted this on Facebook to all of her friends saying, I want to apologize to all of you who I have made wait because I have been late. The Lord has shown me that it is my selfishness and lack of concern for others disguised as other things that has truly made me late. Please forgive me. I want my word to be enough for those who know me. I want to be a woman of my word. I want to be a woman of the word, honoring and exemplifying and living out the word of God in my everyday life. Thank you so much for showing me grace when I have made you wait. God's not done with me yet. Now, if you're the kind of person that maybe you're late every now and then, don't be hearing me judge you in this moment. I'm simply using this example as a way where my friend, I just love how she went openly before God and said, God, is there anything that you want to talk to me about this? And then was open to hear from him. How often do we go before God and ask him to highlight a sin to help us with? If we agree that sin locks us down and keeps us from, us from who God wants us to be, shouldn't we be going to God all the time? I have another friend that at the end of each day, she'll go to God and she'll replay every conversation that she's had. And she'll ask God to highlight any way that maybe her words were taken a way that she didn't mean. And when God brings those people to mind, she'll revisit the conversation the next day and make sure that they're okay. And I love that. And the person always feels honored when she does that. Getting rid of stuff, getting rid of our sin can be an overwhelming process if you've never tried it before. And so a really easy way to start is simply by asking God the question, God, is there anything in my life that's keeping me from you? And I promise you, God will answer every time. Because God agrees that sin locks us down, it entangles us, and he wants to set us free. So if you're wondering what God's voice might sound like, Remember the two coaches that we talked about earlier? One had the I want cake now mentality, and then one was Pete Carroll, and he had a lot of hope for the future. Well, that can be a helpful way to determine who, what God's voice sounds like. God's voice will not condemn us like one coach, but will always have come in a posture of hope. And yes, I am using Pete Carroll as an example of God, God's voice. So don't tell him. Um, <laughs> But God, God wants to come and he wants to assure us. He's not going to say, you're so screwed up, you're never going to change. But he wants to say, no, there is sin in your life, but you're not, your identity isn't grounded in your sin. Your identity is grounded in me. Come to me and I will show you a different way to live. So we need God's help to see what's been blocking us so that we can run. And getting rid of sin helps us to be who God's made us to be. So those are the two ways to prepare for perseverance in our faith, being encouraged and getting rid of sin. And the third and fourth way of perseverance in our faith are all about action. They're about going for it. So third, we run. And fourth, we fix our eyes on Jesus. And these last two go hand in hand. Keeping in mind those that have gone before us and keeping in mind that sin weighs us down, we run with our eyes fixed on Jesus. And the section from Hebrews 12 finishes with, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Are there any Greek speakers out there? No. Okay, that's okay, but hang on and bear with me as we look at what's happening in the Greek here because there's something really cool about a few words that are being repeated in this text that we miss, it, we miss out on in our English translation. 
The word hupomone in the Greek literally means endurance, perseverance, and patience. And the Greek word hupomone, we first see it when it's talking about running with perseverance. Let us run with hupomone. And then that word, that same word, pops up two more times in this text. First, talking about how Christ endured or persevered the cross. And second, how Christ endured opposition from sinners. Now, if you were Greek, you would hear and see that correlation, that that same word, perseverance, that we're being called to have, Christ also has modeled for us. It makes a big difference when we're facing trials to remember that there is one, remember the price that Jesus paid. But wait, there's one more word that gets repeated, and it's called prokemai. Prokemai means that which lies ahead, and it gets translated uh, as marked out for us and set before him. So let us run the race marked out for us, prokemai, for the joy set before him, prokemai, he endured the cross. And here's how these repeated words play out. Here's what's so cool about these repetitions, is they make a big point. Because what we're being called to do is we run with hupomone, the race, prokemai. And in Hebrews 12, 2, it says that the joy set before Christ, and that joy, that joy is us. We're the ones that Christ had in mind as he endured the cross. So his joy was prokemai, so that he, hupomono, the cross. And we're just gonna, we're just gonna land this plane. If you're, if you're bored, just hang with me. <laughs> this is what's really cool. So we run with hupomone, the race, prokemai, and fix our eyes on Jesus. And Jesus, Christ's eyes were fixed on us. So his joy was prokemai, so he, hupomono, the cross. Christ's eyes were fixed on us as he endured the cross. So our eyes are fixed on him as we endure the race set before us. We aren't just watching Christ. Christ has always been watching us. He's always had us in mind. For a long time, when I would read this text in Hebrews, I would hear, fix your eyes on Jesus, and I would see Jesus at the finish line. I thought that this text was calling me to have perseverance in my faith so that I can someday get to Jesus. But that's wrong theology. Jesus is with us every single step of the way. Jesus isn't the prize at the finish line. He is with us all the time. He's cheering us on, saying, keep going. I'm with you. I will give you strength. So while we're running, Jesus' presence is the fuel that helps us keep going. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, this is great and all, cute little thing you just did with the Greek, but come on, I'm exhausted and you're telling me that I need to run and have perseverance, but I'm exhausted. How can you, how can you have me do that? Well, that's a good point. And Hebrews tells us that we persevere in our faith so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. And maybe that is your story right now. Maybe you are weary, and maybe you have lost heart. And that's okay. Because if we believe that Jesus is in this race with us every single step of the way, and that as we are fixing our eyes on him, he's fixing his eyes on us, if we believe that, then we also have to hear his voice say to us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The fact that we need rest is where this running the race metaphor takes a detour. Because Jesus isn't calling us to run 24-7. He's not calling us to sprint. He's showing us how to pace ourselves. And in pacing ourselves, that means that he gives us permission to take a rest stop. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. 
The race is not a competition. We don't persevere to win. We persevere to grow closer to God. So what is this race that you find yourself in? Other translations for the word race use struggle and fight. What is your current struggle? And what is the battle that you are fighting? Whatever those things may be, here are some practical ways that we can persevere in our faith um, in light of whatever you've got going. And the first is this, know who encourages you. This might come in the form of reading the Bible, or it might come from looking at friends and family that have gone before you, or friends and family that currently have a faith of perseverance that inspire you. Whatever it might be, as we run, and as we struggle, and as we fight, it helps to be encouraged by others. After my first quarter in seminary, I almost dropped out. I was having a hard time. I had just come from spending six years in full-time ministry and then started seminary, and I was having a hard time not being in ministry and having to have all of these theological concepts and write all of these papers. I was missing being in ministry. And so I said to one of my pastor friends, I said, "Um, you know, I'm missing ministry. Seminary is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I think I'm going to drop out. And she encouraged me in that moment. She said, I know it's hard, but you're missing the relational side of ministry, and that's a good thing. Seminary's hard, but stick with it, because we need more relational pastors. And I took those words of encouragement, and I held on to them. It was like as if I put them in my pocket and held on to them the rest of the three years that I spent in seminary. And I would revisit those words often, remembering her encouragement, and they helped me get through the rest of seminary. So know who encourages you. Second, have lots of come-to-Jesus moments. Ask Jesus and ask him often to highlight anything in your life that needs to go, stuff that you need to get rid of, stuff that you can say no to. And if your list is long, that is totally okay. Know that we serve a God that is going to just take it with you one step at a time. He's a good father, and all God asks is that we take the next step. Third, know your finish line. Hebrews says that our race is marked out for us already. We know where we're going. Our underlying hope is that someday we know that we're going to be residents in the kingdom of God. And the pain and the trials and the suffering that we experience this side of the kingdom, we know that God is going to do away with at some point. So as we run this race, as we go through it step by step, we have this foundation of hope that we walk upon because we know that God is with us and that someday he will wipe every tear from our eye. Know your finish line. And fourth, and most importantly, fix your eyes on Jesus. And here's the really cool thing about when we fix our eyes on Jesus. His eyes are already fixed on us. He's not distracted. He's not disengaged. He's not on his iPhone saying, yeah, that's very interesting. It's interesting what you had to say just then. Yeah. No, he is completely locked in and engaged with us. And keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus is one of the most important steps of persevering. Because the most perfect example of perseverance comes in the form of Jesus. Jesus came to us as a baby. He could have zapped down from heaven at the age of 33, died on the cross, been our Savior, but he didn't. He came to us incarnate as a baby. Emmanuel, God with us. God moved into the neighborhood in Jesus. And what that shows us is God's loving and sacrificial perseverance. Jesus endured life with and among us. He persevered towards the cross, and he showed us a different way to live. 
Belpress, there are a lot of ways that we can persevere, ways where we can work ourselves to the bone just trying to make it at life. Or we can fix our eyes on Jesus and keep our attention and goals locked there, knowing that he will speak to us, he will help us. He is the perfecter of our faith. And as we move step by step with him, he'll encourage us to take those rest stops when we need to. So as we fix on Jesus, we are filled with his Holy Spirit and moved to do not just what we want to do, but moved to do the things that we see God doing in our midst, things that come to us that give us hope, love, and purpose. So perseverance in our faith, it will always get us to where we want to go, closer to God. So in our resilient pursuit, let's persevere, keeping our eyes fixed on him. So God, we thank you that you ask us to run, but not run alone. God, you say that you are with us every step of the way, helping us pace, helping us know when to say no and when to say yes. God, we thank you that you assure us that you are with us. So God, if there's anybody in this room or watching online, God, that needs that assurance, God, would you just speak to their hearts right now? Speak to their hearts that you are with them, even in this place, because you're a good father. It's in your name that we pray, amen.